And welcome to the Zero Stars Podcast, a podcast about video games and broken hearts. My name is Bob. And I'm Matt. And we're going to talk about video games. We are. Uh, this is a very special episode. Yes, this isn't like your normal grandmother's episode of our show. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I forgot that we were recording for grandmothers. I mean, Exclusively. Really, you'd be amazed. We don't get a lot of listeners, but I would say at least 50 to 60% of them are grandmothers. None, none of them are our grandmothers. Either. No, no. They're just, they just think that we're nice boys yeah. and they like what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, they they love what we're pick. They're picking up what we're putting down, and then they can't get up once they leaned over. <laughs> Their old bodies just give out. Oh, maybe we should cut that. Um, <laughs> that seems upsetting. Uh, what what made you say? Is that like a phrase? Not your grandmother's, your typical grandmother's blank. I don't. Insert? I don't think so. Okay, I, I think I it's, like, it's not your dad's, but I yeah. just you know I I care about my grandmother. Oh. Uh, both my grandmothers are dead, but I imagine that they would be into this idea. <laughs> They supported your gaming habits. Oh yeah, they loved it. Yeah, they were very into it. My grandmother was actually a very good billiards player. My grandmother was not good at games, but always said when she saw me playing Nintendo, "Look at those pictures; they're so good." That's really sweet. Yes, she seemed to like the graphics very much. Yeah. Well, she probably wouldn't have been PC gamer then. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> she would have had a sweet rig. <laughs> yeah, my grandmother would have had <laughs> always a 1080 about the Ti. <laughs> All right. Anyway, yes. Today, today, this is not your usual episode. We are actually recording at a different time than usual, and under under duress. Yes. Uh, summer vacations. Summer vacations. Yeah, I think that that's got went got in the way of our recording schedule. Oh yeah, we have stuff to do. Yeah, you look very uh, confused. I, I was really confused. Yeah. In any case, so we won't be doing How's Your Souls on this episode. No. We won't be doing a news hour. No. Um, you're all going to miss the news hour, I'm sure. Everybody loves the news hour. Everybody loves the it's news It's my favorite hour. part of the show. But we are going to discuss something close to our hearts, uh, our broken hearts, <laughs> about video games. And that's games that we love that are broken. Yeah, and I think that um, for the purposes of this podcast, we're, we're going to be try and maybe uh, I'm trying to think we're not going to define broken outright but I think that maybe like we'll avoid talking about like say XCOM love that game there are part portions of XCOM that barely work sometimes yeah uh Dark Souls has some real frame rate issues that sometimes break the game so I would include that I have a lot of complaints about the Persona series especially Persona 4 mm. which I think is kind of troubling like the systemically kind of like really irritating easy to sort of almost breaks the game so um, you think this is more of a what you're trying to get at is that this is not necessarily a technical issue when we say broken game yeah well i mean i think it can be a technical issue because i think that that uh, there are there are times when technical issues create broken games that we still love um yeah. but i think that like it has to be a more uh it has to be have to do with the core systems of the game or the whether that and i guess that like i maybe i'm cheating by because i would include storyline with systems like narrative with systems. some element but it has of to, the game's design it has to be elemental to the game's design yes so xcom's frame rate issues or like xcom's like pausing for eight minutes while it rolls a bunch of dice to figure out whether you hit the alien or not 
not really like what I think that we're necessarily looking to touch not on. Not at all. Yeah. Watch as we break this rule that we've just set for oh, ourselves. Oh, I mean, it's inevitable. Over. Yeah. Uh, but I guess the reason we wanted to talk about this uh, is because I feel like many of the games I love the most actually have relatively severe design issues. And that's actually part of the reason why I love them. And I think that the counterexample to all of this, if you're wondering what we mean when we say broken games, Overwatch is a very good game. Overwatch is not broken at all. No, it is extraordinarily tight and, and extraordinarily well, well made and well balanced. Yes. To, you know, with And it's because it's a game as a service, it has constant buffs and debuffs that I think uh, really continue to, to adjust that balance. In Overwatch, they're able to fix that game yes. whenever there's a problem. Constantly. And I think Overwatch is an excellent game, but I remember it sort of for it's being holistically good, but it doesn't give me like a guttural feeling of just like, I need to tell everyone about this thing because there's no sense of discovery of, ah, it's broken in this pleasant way and you need to see this part of this thing because it is so weird yeah. and cool. Uh, it is lo- It's lower impact for me for whatever immediate thrills it provides during gameplay because it's so polished it's lower impact on my psyche because it's so well made that it kind of just washes over me and I forget about it. Yeah, I would, I would a hundred percent agree with that. Um, I have a similar experience with overwatch. I would also, I guess one thing that I want to ask you before we start is, um, would we, are we also kind of excluding games like say breath of the wild where the number of overlapping physics systems and kind of like ways that you interact with the environment allow you to break the game by say uh i don't know launching yourself on a stasis rock all the way to hyrule (laughs) castle from the plateau see i think that that is exactly why that is a good game i think it's part of why it's a good game broken uh and i think that is a little bit broken but it's a little bit broken but it's it's cracks are very hard to find that's i would not say that like well, I guess it is. It's part of the. It's elemental to the design. A lot of the broken elements of it, but there it is such a clean, well-made game that I would be hesitant to ever call that a broken game. I agree with you, but you know, I think you could compare that to something like Skyrim, and Skyrim's got real technical problems, but also has a bunch of overlapping systems, mm. and the overlapping systems parts are really fun because they break in interesting ways. And then the technical problems break in bad ways that prevent you from enjoying the good parts of it that are broken. Well, what would you, and breath of the wild does not suffer. From how that. would you categorize jumping uphill backward in Skyrim to try and get to the top of a mountain, for instance? See, I think that's an example of something being broken in kind of a bad way. In a bad way. Okay. And I think that breath of the wild is basically a direct response to that. Right, because they say I'm going to give you a way to climb over everything, so you don't have to do that. And you create new game-breaking elements. I mean, Breath of the Wild seems like it is designed to be broken, whereas Skyrim never felt like it was designed to be broken. Yeah, it was just through happenstance. Yeah. Um. But so we both have things that we want to talk about here. Yeah. That we think are emblematic of a good broken game. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? We always do this. Yeah, it's it's hard. Uh, I can go first. And I'll just talk straight out of the gate about my favorite broken game. Uh, And this game is The World Is Not Enough uh, on the N64. So there was a game on the Nintendo 64 called GoldenEye. Uh, It's a James Bond game. 
this was developed or it was published by EA. Ew. It wasn't Rare. It was not developed by Rare though. Well, Goldeneye was a rare game. Goldeneye was, but and The then, World Is Not Enough was not a rare game? Yes, exactly. So what happened is there was Goldeneye. It was published by Nintendo. It was made by Rare. And it was made with the license for the film Goldeneye. Which had come out years before. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, and that game is, people really like it. Uh, it's a, got a four-player deathmatch mode, which is, I think, why people really like it, because it was good in college dorm rooms. I do not think that game holds up particularly well because much of it attempts to emulate, uh, you know, your standard PC shooter. It controls really sloppily. Uh, you kind of can't look around. You're this person who's sort of wading through molasses because the frame rate is in the gutter and you're trying to kill each other in this death match. Uh, and it just kind of at the time was pretty shocking, but in retrospect, not too great. I think it was sort of an interesting stepping stone to Halo, which is probably the console game that bridged console yes. first-person shooters. And well, and Halo had what Halo mastered was that it gave you controls that actually let you compete exactly relatively with uh, people on the PC because you could look and move around at the same time. But Goldeneye doesn't have that. So a few years after Goldeneye, there was a new James Bond movie, The World Is Not Enough. And somehow the license had changed hands so that EA, Electronic Arts, uh, made this game. Uh, the company that actually made it for EA was called Euro, Eurocom. Uh, and they went on to actually make a remake of Goldeneye. So they closed the oh, loop on that one, okay. which is super weird. Have you played that remake? I have not. Okay. Um, so they made this game. And on the whole, this game is kind of a bad version of Goldeneye. It's sort of a weird technical tour de force uh, in the single player. It looks really good. It runs terribly, but it kind of almost looks like a PS2 game, like an early PS2 game at parts. Hmm. Uh, but because of that, it the N64 just buckles under the weight of rendering it. That said, there is a multiplayer mode in this game, uh, which is very specific, right? And it sort of accidentally solves for all of the game's problems uh, and is the deathmatch shooter that everybody thinks GoldenEye is. So, okay, the way to enjoy The World Is Not Enough, a game that kind of sucks in every other mode. And a game that you, I believe you can only play on the N64. That is true. Unless you are somehow emulating it. And I don't think you can because the N64 is hard to emulate, so it takes yeah. a lot of work. Um, so the way to enjoy this game, uh, which comes in a blue cartridge, very cool, is to play with a setting called explosives and play on the hedge maze map. And so this is a circular map uh, that is a hedge maze, but what it looks like doesn't matter because there's also a slider for graphics, which you are going to turn all the way down because if you don't do that, the game runs terribly. <laughs> so what this does is it means that you're just running around in this green walled maze which does not look like a hedge maze at all uh but it's circular it kind of funnels you in towards the center and in this mode everybody starts with a grenade launcher and armor and full health and this grenade launcher uh takes a long time to reload and shoots these grenades in these parabolic arcs the key to this is that you have to hit somebody twice with one of these grenades to kill them because they have armor and everybody has this weapon out of the gate 
that is extremely powerful, but which takes a long time to reload. So you best not miss. Yes. Beyond that, it does splash damage. So even if you miss, you actually can maybe turn it around. Mm. And, and this is the key to the whole thing, because you can kind of miss, you don't need to aim. And so this game is sort of based around the idea that it's going to aim for you, but it's sort of terrible at that. But in this mode, everything's so loose and all of the arcs on the grenades are so janky that you're actually able to come around a corner and once you get a hang for how it is broken, you can always hit the other person because the auto-aim works predictably terribly. (laughs) And that's sort of the key to this game is that it is sort of terrible at what it set out to do, which is to make this really intensive quake-like deathmatch shooter. But it's very good in this specific situation because everything is broken in a way that complements each other. There's also a glitch in this game, which is maybe my favorite glitch. And I guess that this breaks our first rule. But if two people hit the trigger button at exactly the same time, occasionally the game will not register either of those poles. Even if they're not aiming at each other, if they could be on totally separate sides uh, of the map dealing I think, with... You know, honestly, I'm not sure. Okay. But there are situations where you will both pull the trigger and neither of your guns will go off. That is, that is pretty delightful. And it is so much fun because it is terrible. It is so broken. Like, there's no part of that that's defensible in any rational is there, way. Is there any jumping in this? Like, I'm thinking back no. on Quake. Like, can you launch yourself using the no. launcher? You no. Are, you could play this game from the top down. So there's just... Okay, so it's just one level. It's you just never... a one level. And it's just comically fun uh, to do it particularly with more than two people, but even with two people, because you will always end up winning. You always have a powerful gun. Everybody has an equal shot. And even if you're kind of not great at it, you'll still probably kill some people. And if somebody's good at it, you just feel very powerful because you have mastered all of these kind of busted systems, uh, which just have no right to be as enjoyable as they are, but they overlap pleasingly. Um, and so I, I kind of think about that a lot because what's interesting is that they accidentally made a game system that would be a really good downloadable game if they just sold you that mode on that map. Uh, I would pay five bucks for that and it would be really good. It feels like there should be some sort of a Quake mod or something like that that emulates this. I mean, obviously, this is so constrained. Yeah, and and I think that what's kind of neat about it is that the good part of it is really constrained. Yeah. But that good part fell out of them having made this incredibly complex, not constrained, super ambitious thing that they could not achieve at all. Like, they never had a chance. Yeah. There was no way that the N64 was going to do what they wanted to do. The hardware was just not up to it, but... The controller couldn't do it. They made all of these systems in an attempt to get it there and accidentally have this brilliant little thing that just happens to exist kind of as a sideshow. Yeah, you could... It, the Having twin sticks would totally destroy that. Would ramp, break that, it. Yeah, you need to only be able to use... It's Yeah, it's interesting. What a revelation the, the twin sticks were. They really changed changed the game. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so I, I think that that's like my archetypal. I say, I say we take this example. on the show on the road with some tournament play. Oh, I mean, I think if anybody out there wants to come to my house and play The World Is Not Enough, I will welcome you. I will give you chips and we can play The World Is Not Enough. All right, I'm there. All right, dude. I'll probably be there. Yeah, I'll see you soon. All right, cool. Um, Does that make it my turn? I think it's your turn. All right, my first example is, uh, I feel, so I don't know. I think that like, as far as like broken things in games are concerned, 90% of games have broken stories of some sort. Yeah. Um, you know, the old Ludo narrative dissonance kind of breaks breaks most games in many ways. So I think that we have to kind of approach that cautiously. So like, I think I personally could like run through a list of, of games that are sort of interesting in their um, narrative failures. Cool. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I, Oh, when we <laughs> talked about not cool, never mind. Um, when we initially talked about broken games, it was sort of hard for me to come up with a list and I just, ended up making a list of games that I actually like and I realized that many of them were broken. Um, I think that's the way. Yeah, and and this is not surprising, but one of the ones that kind of stood out to me was Final Fantasy VIII. Have you played Final Fantasy VIII? I have played a small part of Final Fantasy VIII. People today bounce off Final Fantasy VIII real fast. Mm-hmm. Um, not surprisingly, and that's because the main character who you are introduced to and spend a lot of time just with him singularly um including just like long periods in his dorm room at the military school that he goes to mm-hmm. uh he's not a likable guy and what is his name squall 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 Leonhardt. Uh, does, does he have a stormy personality not even a real heartbreaker um, it's i mean i wouldn't say it's stormy so much as just kind of like muggy and drizzly um, oh, that's unpleasant yeah squall's just like a really unlikable dude um I there's kind of like not a whole lot of depth to it either. There's really not a whole lot going on underneath that hood. He's uh, I think he's often described as being sort of emo. I that's fair. I think that that's like very of the time for when Final Fantasy VIII came out. Um, this is of course developed uh, by Square. Um, it was published back before Square Enix, so it was just SquareSoft uh, and a follow up to one of the best selling and most celebrated games of all time, Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. Um, I think everybody had sort of like reacted negatively to one degree or another to cloud as well for being kind of like a, a poor uh, cipher even for the main character just because he was so moody, but they doubled down on that with squall in final fantasy eight. And it's, um, I really don't have a whole lot more to say on it other than that. They, well, what makes him so unlikable? He's rude. He's, um, like his catchphrase is whatever he or sometimes like he just responds with like an ellipsis it's like three oh, okay. three periods in a row and just like he's just like he's extraordinarily uh apathetic at his best and like downright rude at his worst uh-huh. they try to balance this a little bit with like so one of my favorite things about final fantasy 8 is that it is a love story or that it attempts to be a love story at the very least. And there's a character that you meet early on named, um, who's a part ends up becoming a party member and is sort of the secondary character, um, named Renoa. Um, I assume I'm pronouncing that right. I never know with these things because I have never ever talked about the characters of final fantasy eight. Yeah. Loud. It's actually, it's actually squat all squat all. 
Yeah. Squall. 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 <laughs> Yes. Um, as interpreted by the uh, imp from, <laughs> yeah. from Pyre, from Pyre, yeah. uh, which is a fantastic game. Yes. Anyway, you should play Pyre. Yeah, just play Pyre. Stop listening to us and play Pyre. Listen anyway. to this while you play Pyre. Well, the music's really good. So. Yeah, don't listen to this. Yeah, um, just don't listen to this at all. <laughs> anyway, what are you doing with your lives? <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing with ours? <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, Squall meets Renoa, and she's sort of this uh, very eff- effervescent, bubbly persona. I'm probably using the word effervescent incorrectly there. But she's a, she's meant to be a foil to him, although she kind of verges on a manic pixie dream girl a little bit too much and too often. Okay. Um, and that doesn't quite work. But the one conceit that Final Fantasy VIII brings to, the, brings to uh, video games and video game narrative that I hadn't seen uh, at that time... Um, and we've seen a little bit more of sense is that you are allowed inside Squall's head. Mm. You into the eye of the storm, into the eye of the storm, truly or into the brain. Um, every so often, you, this is obviously all text. There's no spoken word in this. And every so often you will get Squall's thoughts in parentheses um, in the same sort of like little dialogue boxes that you got the dialogue in. Interesting. And so he'll say something and he'll think something immediately afterwards. Or sometimes you'll have both on screen at once. Mm. Um, it's really minor and the game is overall narratively broken. The, the plot makes very little sense. The love story doesn't really sell. There's very little actual maturation on the part of Squall or any of the other characters. Um, but I find this sort of this convention to be, and I remember thinking that it was in, incredibly clever and really interesting. It almost reminds me of like, uh, sort of advances in, in, comic book and sort of like comic book layout and design in many ways that the idea that you can have uh, visualized in text on screen someone's verbal response and someone's internal response at the same time I mean in a lot of ways I think that Final Fantasy 8 is sort of like they were striving for Hamlet and missed the mark by a wide margin with right. like a sort of moody protagonist who's has a difficult time making up his mind and deciding you know whether or how to act and it's, it's you know in that regard it's an abject failure um it has a fantastic little card game yes like like kind of like hidden within it um but i've always i've always been drawn back to that game and i've replayed it several times just sort of out of out of curiosity as to how they how they represent their main character um and how they represent his internal and his external realities uh, and it even sounds though there's like, not a whole lot of depth there well it sounds like their devotion to that sort of shoots them in the foot in terms of making him an, a, a relatable it makes him relatable but you relate to him probably in a way that makes you hate him because you don't like your own internal monologue yeah i mean because i think that there's only he's not much of a cipher for the player either um, interesting and i think that the, that's one of the things i've always liked about the final fantasy games is that they don't go out of their way to make their their main character ciphers but I think that the, that they do shoot themselves in the foot for the most part because Squall's thoughts aren't super interesting. I mean, they they will contradict. <laughs> He'll often, in his thoughts, contradict what he is saying, but not in ways that surprise you. You know, I think that like if we're to look at sort of like E.M. Forrester's definition of what is a round character, it's that they 
obviously they need to have conflict and they need to, to grow and develop. But the key element that is often missing is that they have to surprise you. Mm-hmm. And Squall is never surprising as basically no Final Fantasy character is ever surprising, which is the unfortunate thing, uh, except for in Final Fantasy Tactics, a game with a broken translation. But despite its broken translation, is actually, I probably should have just talked about Final Fantasy Tactics. <laughs> Even in its broken translation, some elements of that broken translation are really fascinating and and sort of like, powerful and the script can be really interesting even when it is like objectively poorly translated objectively right. poorly translated but um also final fantasy 8 has some of the like the best environmental design and some of like the best sort of um that this was back when they were doing pre-rendered cgi backgrounds and some of the backgrounds are just like absolutely stellar and a lot of the environment and architecture is like among the best that i think the series has ever done all right, so it's it's a very good game, but no, it's not. Well, it's a mediocre game, at but best. it's got a lot of good parts. But then they had a single-minded kind of focus in a certain area that might have led them astray in terms of making it a game that people would enjoy playing. And people play those games for their stories, not yeah. For seldom for their for their interlocking game game systems. Um, so I think that in many ways they failed, and this is why it's not a very well-regarded game. But they took a risk. Right. And they tried something new, and I find that really interesting, even though it ended up breaking the game. Yeah, and and so that's that that actually is a pretty good segue into my next one, which is Mirror's Edge, uh, a game that is very close to my heart. Uh, so this is a game for the Xbox 360, and I assume PS3. I'm yeah, it came out on the PS3 too. Uh, and it was actually another EA joint, um, weirdly. So uh, this is a game... That is, oh man, where to begin with Mirror's Edge? This game's so busted. So this is a game uh, made by the people who normally make uh, the Battlefield games. And then they had this crazy idea to make a game where it is played from the first person and you do parkour. Uh, you, The whole point of this game is just to run. And so many of its design decisions are driven by the fact that the main character's entire point is that they can run. Um, So the way that the controls are laid out, free up your hands so that you're never taking your thumbs off of the sticks, but you're still able to jump, duck, do a quick turn. uh, Just do a bunch of things that are all focused on movement through an environment. You feel really heavy, very weighty. You uh, take a lot of time to get up to speed. So you start pushing the stick in a direction. And if you keep holding the stick in that direction for 10 seconds you actually get up to a real real fast clip but it takes a lot of time to get there and you can actually if you're good and can time things well while you jump maintain that speed maintain that gaining of momentum so there's a lot of decisions that were made specifically to make it fun to run and that part of the game is awesome and then this is the part where it breaks. I can't tell if it's that somebody came in from EA and said, you can't make this game just about running. You gotta, you gotta shoot some guys in the face or else it's not a video game. Walking. That's okay. Yes. It's okay. Shooting. Okay. You know, that Mario guy likes to jump, uh, but you know, he also steps on people, (laughs) right? Like, 
it's a very strange thing because at a certain point they clearly decided that there needed to be combat in this game or that there needed to be a reason for you to run other than that running is awesome and feels amazing. So it's, there was like a lack of confidence in this really good thing that they built. Um, and so then there are parts, the whole single player is this sequence of pretty engaging running sections punctuated by you struggling with the combat controls as people gun you down in corridors because uh, the combat does not work right because the game is not built to do it. And it just totally falls apart. Um, what's even weirder about it is that at a certain point they went back and they added downloadable content for this game. And the premise was fans. It's exactly what you want. A series of time trial, like time trial, totally timing based levels. You're just going to race each other through these parkour courses, except that they made them all these weird abstract floating platforms in space uh, whereas the rest of the game takes place in a very cool Neo Tokyo looking future skyline. Really beautiful architecture in that yeah. game. Like stunning vistas. But it all happens in, in what feasibly passes for a city. Yeah. Uh, except for these other areas. And that's actually a terrible decision. Uh, it's good that they remove the combat, but part of what makes the game easy to track mentally is that everything in it looks like a city something that you are very familiar with. And so when you're looking at the jumping puzzles in the actual game and it looks like a skyscraper and you're just thinking, I need to get up to that door. It's quite easy to figure out how to do it. And you kind of have a place to a handhold, if you will. Uh, no pun intended, I guess. I guess that's a pun. I don't know. There's handholding in that game. Yeah. You hold a lot of hands. You, you grab a lot of handholds. Uh, so you have something to hold on to, but then they, so they gave you part of what you wanted and then took away something that actually made the game engaging and grounded. Uh, so what's, this is another case of, I feel like they made a really good little core of a game and then felt like they needed to blow it out into something much larger, uh, kind of mistakenly. And the actual center, like there's a little beating heart in there entirely based on the mechanics that they made for their faults and lack thereof uh, that's actually really good. And then they tried to expand it in ways that are just not what the game wants to do. Like in the case of The World is Not Enough, a lot of that's hardware-based, controller-based. You just can't do the things that they want you to do in the single player of that game. In Mirror's Edge, it's just that they had a really solid core and then said, well, I need to have these other things. How can I shoehorn this to make that happen? Yeah. They needed to ask themselves, how do we make this sell? Unfortunately, because if there wasn't confident on the public confidence on the publisher's part, it sounds like, yeah, it, the, the game is just, uh, it's interesting. The, the sound design in that game, I will say the footstep sound in that game is incredible yeah someday you should write something just about the i have considered doing will, exactly that yeah you will talk about it endlessly and yes i don't want you to do that right now i'm not going to i just want um, to say it was the same team responsible for the sequel which i think just came out a few years ago called mirror's edge catalyst i do not believe so okay uh i but i honestly don't know yeah i have not played that game um that game are you afraid to yeah a little bit uh i mean i know that that game gates your ability to do different jumps 
mm-hmm. which is the exact opposite of the point of Mirror's Edge, which is that they give you all the jumps out of the gate. They give you all of the movement abilities immediately. I guess there that- are no power-ups. You just can do everything. And slowly, you, as a human being, learn how to do them and learn when you should use certain moves and when you should apply certain skills. I believe it's a prequel. So I guess that you're supposed to be learning. So narratively, it makes sense to have a progression tree. See, to me, now that's no, I, it's, broken it's in a bad yes, way, right? No, that's broken. It is broken. I mean, but like also, it's just like gamers love a skill tree. I Certain people probably do. I don't uh, know that the majority. Love. The majority of people love it. I guess so. I mean, that's why Overwatch... Oh, wait, no, Overwatch doesn't have a skill tree. But every other sh- multiplayer shooter has skill trees at this point. I guess so, yeah. Like you everything post-Call of Duty does. Yeah. Alas. Yes, alack. Uh, so, yeah, I think Mirror's Edge is broken in... in broken by addition. <laughs> Just, mm-hmm. it's, it's broken because nobody knew when to say stop, which is a shame. And I think that's true of, of a few different types of games. Yeah. Yeah. So what what do you have? Um again, I had I had trouble with this because I felt like all the games I liked were were somehow broken, but in many ways I think that they were the kind of broken that we would want to disqualify something along the lines of like XCOM or even I thought of this one element of Bloodborne that's sort of problematic in the design in which you need to be collecting blood vials, which are Bloodborne being developed by from software, the same uh company behind the Souls game. It the blood vials replace your Estus flask, but instead of refreshing every time you go to a quote unquote campfire or lantern or, you know, in Bloodborne, they're different. Um, every time you go to a lantern in, in Bloodborne, you don't refresh your blood vials. You need to gather them from enemies. Oh. So you, yeah, it's, so it's, I don't know that I love that. No, it's sort of, it's sort of interesting. It's cause if you are, if you're good at the game, it's not really an issue because they're pretty plentiful. But if you are struggling with a boss, mm. you sometimes need to go back and farm them. Oh, that's terrible. So, that's yeah, design. and I would just call that bad design. I'm sure that there's yeah. probably an argument that could be made for it, but well, you're I'm not really sure up. what it is. Um, so the argument would be that now they're forcing it's, you to grind. It's a forced grind. So or now it's, you get it's a, a level. It's a carrot for your grinding yeah, to put in front silly. of you. Um, you know, I also thought of, like, The Walking Dead because talk about a, the the Telltale Season that is a good example. Season that one. game is glitchy as hell. I mean, all the Telltale games. I presume that maybe they've gotten a little bit better, but I man, feel like we were saying that before The Walking Dead came out, yeah. and then there was that. Uh, but I mean, what an experience too! At the same time, it's a fun um, time. I don't think anybody needs to say more about The Walking Dead. I don't yeah. know if I call it a fun time either. Well, I'd be I'd be hesitant to even say that I had fun playing those games. Yeah, and honestly, I don't know how I feel about them. I don't have any desire to play them again. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, and it seems like they would kind of hold up because they're narratively focused. I could make different choices or something, but I, I just feel like they're such a broken mess. Yeah, and they're, they, just they are not fun to engage with on multiple levels, but they're very impressive, interesting, interestingly constructed. They're meaningful things. Yeah. Um, clearly a lot of great writers on that who have hopefully left Telltale and are now working on other projects like maybe Firewatch. Ah, uh, the Fire Wardens. Fire Wardens. Yes, it would break see, our heart were they see to stay. episode three, Fire Wardens. <laughs> um, the one, uh, actually, 
Well, yeah, okay. So the the one other game that I wanted to bring up, I have two games I want to bring up, but the one other the one that occurred to me, and this is super brief, is because I haven't played through the whole thing, is um, Alien Isolation. Ah, very good example. I'm totally blanking on who the developer was. It was published by Sega, but I can't remember who the developer was. Um, I also do not remember. Was it Monolith? That doesn't sound I, right. You know, Monolith occurred to me too, but I don't think it is Monolith. Okay. Um, in any case... Alien Isolation is a game in really kind of like in the Alien franchise. I think it might even be canonical at this point because it retcons aliens because in this game you play as <laughs> Ripley's daughter. Ah. And you um, go on an adventure to the Nostromo and you're supposed to like check out what's going on there, but then you kind of get sidetracked on... Um, an alien base, or not an alien base, I'm sorry, but uh, like a, another human base and there's chaos and you're kind of wandering around in the dark. Um, the real conceit of Alien Isolation is that the developers created an AI for the alien. There is one alien. It is on the base with ah, you. So it means alien intelligence. Mm. It all makes sense now. I'd never put two and two together, but... That's I why mean, I'm here. Well, it's interesting because like, people talk about being afraid of AI and like what AI is capable of. Yeah. Playing this game, I am afraid of AI in multiple ways. Um, <laughs> first, because it is, it is a scary, scary game. It is. You are playing against uh, one AI that has, you know, the second it sees you, you're pretty much dead. You need to be very careful, very canny. You're paying attention to, to sound. It is, I don't even want to use the word intelligent because there's this feeling that you get when you were playing um, alien isolation that you feel as though the AI for the alien somehow got away from from the developers <laughs> that it is like it seems um, it is it is actively unfair at times it yeah. is it is and I'm not talking about because it can kill you in one hit it's a it's a matter of the fact that like it is completely unpredictable um, it, it knows has no where patterns. you are and you don't know where it is it, it's not always clear how it knows where you are and it so there's an imbalance there's a severe imbalance in the game that definitely breaks it because at times you're just like fuck this i don't feel like playing this anymore right. this and you do that both because it is very tense and is very like you know it's it's heart pounding but it is also um but it's also just frustrating like okay. sometimes you're just like i don't understand why i died i don't feel as though i can learn from this but the the way that the alien is designed because it is so unfair because it seems you start to feel as though the ai is smarter than you mm. and i have i remember playing this game not too long ago and i put down the controller afterwards and i was like we can never let this ai out into the world <laughs> like in my head i actually thought like i don't know what what this thing is and it's still it's not you know it's still just an ai it's just it's unpredictable probably because like it's impossible to design good ai right um but like there is this element to it that of it it that's terrifying that you feel as though you were dealing with something that is that is truly supernatural um or like outside of our understanding of nature, our earthly <laughs> understanding of nature. Truly alien. Truly alien. Um, <laughs> the original working title is truly alien. Um, it's too alien. So yeah, have you, have you played Nights. that game at all? Uh, I've I've just played a bit of it here. Oh, the opening. The yeah, opening. I played before the opening you actually section. meet the alien. I uh, I found once once you get into the section where you know the alien is out there, I honestly kind of found it too nerve wracking. Where even just the knowledge that there was going to be something, oh yeah, I I was uncomfortable. And they never make it clear. There's never a point where it's like, oh, by the way, now the alien is hunting you. 
Yes, and it you can is feel just, that immediately. Yes, it is. I mean, I these these developers whose name I cannot remember. I am deeply impressed with with their work on this. Um, I am also frustrated and terrified by it. Yeah. So uh, if you are looking for, it's actually very cheap to pick this game up used. But if you were just looking for like a weird ass AI experience that where you just feel hunted and unsafe and potentially are scared of not just the alien in the game, but the actual coded AI itself, pick up Alien Isolation. <laughs> if you're looking for a good time. Yeah. It's it's also, I'd be very curious, it's on last gen and current gen. I'd be very curious to know what kind of changes were made to the AI in between those. Because I know a similar game that came out around the same time was um, Shadow of Mordor. And that did have certain um, AI adjustments for last gen consoles yeah they, they didn't have any of the nemesis stuff where you would be yeah or it was tracked. down downscaled yeah in some way but um nonetheless i mean i'd be curious to see somebody write up a piece and this has got to exist somewhere out there comparing the last guardians ai interesting to uh aliens ai because those are the two examples of artificial intelligence and gaming that i've feel like has have been most front and center in the past just, few years. Yeah, where, where clearly a lot of the machine is getting dedicated just to the, running this creature at some point. Yeah. yeah, and even if it's not, then they're doing something really interesting. Right. Yeah, and that's cool. Um, so what's broken about that game? Like, it's just broken because it feels like it cheats? Or? Oh, yeah, it feels like it cheats. Quite gotcha. often feels like it cheats. It doesn't make sense. Like, it's not predictable. There's no um, there's no balance. It's a, it's a terribly imbalanced game. Uh, and not in a fun way, like maybe an asymmetrical multiplayer was, or like the old Aliens games were, where it was right. Aliens, you know, versus whatever Marines. Um, it feels, it is, it is, so it's like, it's doubly both like just actually frustrating because it's sort of shitty and tense and nerve wracking. It's funny how that's such a fine line. Oh, it's an yeah. incredibly fine line. I wouldn't have it any other way, frankly, right. because we wouldn't have the weird, unique experience that there is if the alien were any more predictable. Yeah, it's the spinal tap. It's a, such a fine line between stupid and clever. <laughs> All right. Well, do you so, have do you have anything left? I, I mean, I think this about a lot of games. You know, I think you can and you can take it in so many different directions. Uh, there's a game uh, which is called God Hand. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I have worn the God Hand. Yes. Uh, so God Hand's incredible. Um, one of the best games I've ever played. Uh, and that game is broken less in a mechanic sense uh, and more in a everything about that game is bigoted and terrible that is not you punching people in the face. It's actively misogynistic, it's, racist, homophobic. It has and, yeah. every possible issue and then it just has this it just feels so good to punch the enemies the enemies have incredible patterns the actual parts of it that are a video game are so so well engineered and it is surrounded by filth uh and you know yeah i that's, thought that's about, a different kind of being i broken, thought about but, bringing that up too and then i thought that's a podcast unto itself and i think it is so yeah. i i guess we we can we can wrap this one up on just saying that God Hand is hecka broken, and we will talk about it some other time. And hecka good. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. What a problem that thing is. Anyways, this has been fun, uh, and I really want to play Alien Isolation now. Yeah, well, you can pick it up real cheap. I will. <laughs> and it's even better if you happen to have a camera, 
Oh, yeah. Um, because it picks up on your sound and your movement actually in the room. I have heard people argue that it's an excellent party game as well. I believe because that. Because you just pass it around and everyone keeps taking turns. And I, I think actually things that are kind of broken and that have the possibility of unfair deaths and or kind of less the skill ceiling is sort of wrong because the game yeah. is a little bit busted, which is kind of the case with uh, The World is Not Enough when you first start playing it. Everybody is kind of bad, but kind of good because nobody can be good out of the gate. It's and an excellent, excellent observation. That makes things fun in a social setting because everybody, as long as it's equally broken, and yes. that's kind of the key, right? As long as everybody has the potential to get screwed in the same way. And like, that's why it's fun when the triggers malfunction and the world is not enough because it's just a glitch. It's a terrible glitch. If you're making that game, you should fix that. But in the context of we have been drinking and we're playing this stupid game where we blow each other up in a hedge maze and now I have you and like I, I can feel that I've got you and I pull the trigger and the thing doesn't shoot and you pop me in the head. It's fun because next time that we see each other, it's totally feasible that will happen to you. Yeah. Um, it could happen to you. It could happen to you. Well, we didn't talk much about broken hearts. No, we didn't. I don't think any of these games really broke our hearts. No, they are exactly what no. they say on the tin, which is okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I mean, I think that if we had any reader mail, yeah, that would that would mend our already broken hearts. That's a great point. So please write us. You can do so at podcast at zero stars dot co, and uh, we're actually hoping to integrate the reader mail into the podcast. So if you do write us, you will be featured regardless of what you ask, how you ask it, or what you say about us. Yeah, I really want to know what you think about Bob. <laughs> you have your own thoughts, but you just want to see if somebody else corroborates I'll, them. I'll share once somebody else has shared their thoughts. I can't wait. Uh, until then, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.